you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 12, I mean, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. And I believe this is in the Living Bible paraphrase. So it's probably not going to sound like what you're reading. I mean, if you know, there are paraphrases and there are translations. Paraphrase is what somebody, somebody's interpretation of a text of Scripture. Translation is a literal translation from a different language to, to a language we speak now. There are, some, there are some translations that you need to be aware of because there are things that have been omitted. Everybody is on board with NIV, and NIV is a good one. It's easy to understand, but be aware there are things that are not in the NIV that are in the King James. They've been omitted. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it without apology. I'm not going to ask for hands, because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you are reading the Message Bible, throw it in the trash. Do not read the Message Bible. It's garbage. Eugene Peterson, the man who translated it, this isn't even in the Message. But he said, I read a, a quote from him. He said, uh, and I forget what book of the Bible and what chapter he was translating. He said, I'm translating, I translated and after it. I said, I, I realized it it was such a great experience. He said, so I just had fun with the Bible translation. I'm sorry, my friend. The Bible is not something you just have fun with. It is truth. Not to be changed. Not to be distorted. There are things that he changed. There are things even in the NIV that are changed to re that reduce homosexuality to just love. Beware of what you read. You might not like it that I say that. You might love the Message Bible. That's okay. But I'm telling you the truth, and I am not ashamed that I'm telling you the truth because I'm held responsible for letting you know that there is garbage out there just because you find it in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It just irritates me that people just go to a Bible bookstore and say, oh, well, it was at the Bible bookstore. That's like saying, well, if they sell it in the store, it's legal, right? No. I've heard that before. Found somebody with a pot pipe. Well, they sell them in the store, so they must be legal. The pipe is legal until you use it for its intended purpose. Then it becomes paraphernalia. Sorry, I didn't mean to go. Anyway, house of prayer. This is, you know, I told somebody the other day, I'm staying on this for just a second, but I am not going to be apologetic for telling you the truth. I'm going to preach the Bible. I'm going to preach the Word of God. And I'm not going to skim over and gloss over things. If it's the truth, I'm going to tell you the truth. One of the things that's true is hell is hot. You don't want to go there. That's his next week's sermon. 
So Leviticus chapter 6, verses 12 3, you've had plenty of time to get there. Okay? Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. The priest shall put on fresh wood each morning and lay the daily burnt offering on it and burn the fat of the daily peace offering. The fire must be kept burning upon the altar continually. It must never go out. The fire cannot be let go out. It's like lighting a fire in your fireplace and you use it for heat and you you go to sleep and then you get up the next morning and sometimes the fire's gone out. Right? Goes out. Then what do you got to do? You got to get in there and you got to work at getting it going again. See, the thing about this is he's saying you don't let it go out. Don't let it go out. If you've got to get up in the middle of the night to tend the fire, you get up in the middle of the night and tend the fire. When's the middle of the night? The hard parts, the hard times in your life. You stoke the fire in the hard times of your life. You smoke, you stoke it, you keep it burning. Because if it goes out, then you lose your hope. What's an altar? When you say altar, everybody has this, this picture. You know you did. When I said altar, there's a picture that came up in your mind. Some of you, it was probably when Abraham put Isaac on the altar. Some of you might be like what we used to have here, a, 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 a communion table. Or something of that, you know, block, wood, doesn't matter, stone. If it's wood and you put a burnt offering on it, better be careful. An altar, I found this definition of what an altar is. It's pro- an altar is prominent in the, God, in the Bible. And it says is it's God's table. A sacred place for sacrifices and gifts offered up to God. A sacred place. A sacred place. Something that's holy. Where you offer up holy things to God. Sometimes we put things on there on the altar and we expect God to accept them and it's rotten food. Come on, you know you've done it. I've done it. Oh God, this is the best I have. It's not. It is not the best you have. This is talking about prayer. It's, it's essentially, we're talking about prayer here, the continuous prayer. This fire is going, continually, go, continually going up. We keep it stoked. Our prayers. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. As incense. Our prayers need to be offered as incense. In the temple they came, there was incense always burning in the temple. Always. I hate incense. Just being honest, I don't like it. I don't like its smell. Reminds me of Chinatown. Chinatown's dirty. That smell is just, you know, how many of you like the smell of incense? Come on, be honest. I'm not going to, if you like it, you like it. I happen to be one of those people who don't. So if I ever come to your house, please don't burn incense. (laughs) 
But in the temple, incense was burning day and night, night and day, day and night, night and day. It was never allowed to stop. And it's significant because that is the way our prayers are supposed to be. Night and day, day and night, night and day, day and night, continually being offered up. Well, pastor, you expect me to be on my knees 24 hours a day, seven days a week? No. I do expect you to be on your knees. But it's the attitude of your heart. You need to have a prayerful attitude of your heart where you're conversing with God all the time. Not just when you need something, not just when you're praying over your food. You need to be praying over your food. You realize that, right? Okay. If you don't, you need to start. See, God considers prayer a sweet aroma. A sweet aroma. He smells it. You like sweet. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of walking in the mall and you smell Cinnabon. Oh. You gain weight just smelling it. Mm. And I guarantee you, when I said that, you all smelt Cinnabon. Smell is a powerful thing. Smell is a powerful thing. Some people think, well, if there was a sense that I had to lose, then I could probably do without, do without my smell. Sense of smell is one of the more powerful ones because your sense of smell links your memories. How many of you have ever been someplace and you get a smell and you're like, and it brings back, memories start flooding back from a time in your life. Ever done it? It's like, takes you back. Takes you back. But it's a powerful, it, I won't ever want to lose my smell. Especially if I've been sweating. I want to be able to smell it so I know, ooh, okay, it's time to take a shower. It's time. God is moved with the prayer. The prayer goes into God's nose and he, and he smells those prayers and it brings him back. It brings memories and thoughts to, into his life as well. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Are you or are you not created in the image of God? Things move God like things move us. And smell moves God. Nobody wants to smell a nasty old garbage can. And sometimes those are the things that we're offering up to God. Oh God, here's my offering. It's like... like old, old cheese, cottage cheese that's been in your refrigerator for months. I'm conjuring up all kinds of images in your head this morning. 
I'm trying to make a point. What we offer to God is smell, and what smells good is what we need to offer. We don't need to offer the stuff that stinks. The stuff that, if it makes you sick, it's going to make God sick. We know what makes God sick. He tells us. He tells us what makes him sick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. God is telling us, pray without ceasing. That's in the New Testament. And we just read in the Old Testament, God is saying symbolically, pray without ceasing. Don't let the fire of prayer go out in your life. We have to have a sense of urgency. I mean, what a sense of urgency is. Like something that I, I just have to do it. I just, I just, I am, it's an impulse. It's a, an impression. I just have to do it. It's a sense of urgency. We need to have a sense of urgency about prayer. The fire on the altar produces smoke. How many of you ever made a fire that didn't produce any smoke? Nobody. It always produces smoke. Our prayer lives need to be producing smoke. Smoke rises like your prayer. And if you're, and if you're like they say, the smoke follows the pretty ones around the fire. Right? Isn't that what they say? Sit around a campfire, and I must be pretty because every time I sit around a campfire, it always follows me. Move to the other side, and the wind shifts and blows back in my face. It's like I can't get away from it. But it's smoke. It rises up. As the fire con burns continually, the smoke rises continually. The fire on the altar is burning continuously because we're not letting it go out. The, our prayers are rising continually to God. The more fire, the more smoke. The bigger your fire, the more smoke you're producing. You don't believe sm uh, fires produce smoke? Think about the fires we had last summer. All the way up in Butte County, and we got ash and we got smoke from Butte County. Set yourself ablaze and burn, burn, burn. Somebody might get excited later. You got to burn, but it takes work to keep the fire burning. It takes work. Doesn't just happen. You don't just, like I said, you don't just set a, set a fire, start a fire in your fireplace, and next morning get up and it's going again. Not unless it's ginormous. You've got to work at keeping your fire going. 
You have to work at your prayer life. You have to work at having your fire, your, 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 your person, your spirit ablaze. Praying constantly. Holy Spirit, set me afire. Keep me ablaze. Keep me going. Stir up the things that are in me. I want to be on fire for you, God. Remember when you were first got saved and how on fire you were? Now you've turned into a little ember. You used to be a Butte County fire. Everywhere you went, you told somebody about Jesus. Everywhere you went, you, re you represented Christ in a, in a godly manner. And now we've, we've reduced ourselves. Well, Pastor, I've become a lot more spiritual than I was then. I've learned a lot more restraint. I've learned tact and diplomacy. No. It's not tact and diplomacy. It's fear. You're afraid of what somebody's going to say about you. You're afraid that they're going to think poorly of you. You're afraid that at sometimes maybe you might even get put in jail. You're afraid. But my God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. I've given you the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Power and love. They go together. It's the power of love. Right? Everybody knows that song, Huey Lewis in the News. If you don't know it, watch Back to the Future. You have to keep it. We have to arrange the wood. So we've got, there are things you've got to do to make, the, to, to make your fire burn. First, you've got to add wood. No wood, no fire. No wood, no fire. Even a match. You gotta have wood for a match. Paper for a match. No wood, no fire. So you keep, you put that stuff on there. What is the, what is the wood that we're putting? We're putting on those things that we don't want us to be part of our lives anymore. We're putting those on the altar of God and saying, God, take this, burn this, and get this out of my life. Continually putting those things on. Continually keeping them on fire. But you can't just take the wood and throw it in a heap and try to set it on fire and expect it to burn. What are you talking about? Well, you have to have air. And unless you arrange the wood so that the air flows through the wood and keeps the, the embers hot, it'll burn for a while and then it'll go out. Air. Air. You gotta have the wind of the Spirit blowing in your lives every day, every moment to keep that wood on fire. Oh, come on. Come on. It's the Spirit in our lives that blows. If you, ha if you have lost the blowing of the Spirit in your fire, pray, Holy Spirit, come back and blow into my life. It's air. John 3 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind should be blowing in your lives if you're born of the Spirit. Another thing you've got to do to keep the fire going is you've got to clean the ashes away. 
I remember when we lived in Lakeport, we had a fire, we had a stove. They had put a, they had a fireplace, but then they put a wood-burning stove in front of the fireplace. And, but you put wood in that thing, and then you try to get it, you get it going, you'd arrange the wood in there, and you get it going, and it'd burn and burn and burn, and then you'd burn it for four or five days. And pretty soon, it's not staying lit like it used to stay lit. Well, it's because it had this much ash in the bottom. You've got to clean that junk out. The priests did. The priests took that stuff, and it was a solemn occasion. They got dressed in their, in their priestly garments. They did. You can read it. Leviticus. They, they dressed up and they took the ashes. It was a ceremony. They took the ashes outside the city. They got rid of the junk that clogs up their lives. They got rid of the stuff that kept the fire from being able to burn continually and burn hot. Is there ash in your life that you've just let build up? It's time to clean it out. If you want the Spirit to blow in your life and your fire to burn bright, then you need to clean out some ashes. Clean them out. You see, another aspect of this thing is, is that it says that we, the Scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. But see, in temples, what do temples contain? Temples contain altars. You have an altar in your life. You have to keep the fire burning on that altar in your life. Romans 12.1 out of the Living Bible says, And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? We present our bodies. We, climb, we give God our lives. We put ourselves on the altar in our life. We put ourselves on the altar and offer ourselves to God. We offer God. The Lord told me a while back, don't defile the altar. Don't offer anything that's unworthy. What is, what is worthy? If it costs you something, it's worthy. David said, I will not offer God something that costs me nothing. What's it going to cost you? Because it's going to cost you to offer up that offering and to keep that fire burning. It's going to cost you something. We have to be burned up and daily place ourselves on the altar. Daily. Daily. Not just once a week. But God, I went to church on Sunday morning. But what have you done for me the rest of the week? We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 56, 7 says, Even those I will bring to my holy mountain, and I make them joyful in my house of prayer. 
Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable to my altar, excuse me, on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This church, we say, everybody always takes that and says, okay, the church is the house of God, and we call that that temple, you know, we call that the temple, and we say that my house, my church will be called a house of prayer. My friends, you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are temples. We are houses of God. We are to be called houses of prayer. Our lives need to reflect prayer every day, all day, every year. Not just once in a while. And I'm preaching to myself all the time. Prayer. Prayer is the hallmark of Christianity. Prayer should be the hallmark of our lives. Not just, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Lord, bless this food. Amen. Not those kind of prayers. I'm talking about prayers where you get on your knees and you fall on your face before God. You get down and you humble yourself and you pray. You weep before God. You cry. You petition God. Prayer. Well, why are you harping on prayer, Pastor? Because it's important. Matthew 21, 13 says, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. We're stealing from God. We don't pray. We're stealing time with God. We're showing God, well, God, you know, you sent Jesus to die for me, but, but, and I thank you for that, but I don't have time to pray. I don't, have, I don't have time. I'm busy. I got a lot of stuff to do today. My friend, you don't have time. You have so much this stuff to do today, you don't have time not to pray. You want it to go well? Hit your knees. It says, that scripture says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching. Not a house of singing. See, we, we, we love to preach and we love to sing, but when it comes time to pray, to pray, then, oh, you lost me, Pastor. I'm just telling you, folks. I'm telling you what I see. I'm telling you what the Lord has given me to say, that when it comes time to prayer, I've lost you. I told God, I said, God, I can't entertain people. I won't entertain people to get them to come to the house of God. I refuse. This isn't entertainment, folks. This is life and death. Where's the urgency? Time is short. Where's the urgency? See, I can't shame you into praying. I can't force you to pray, even though I'd like to. You will pray. It's good for you. Pray. Can't do it. 
no, I'm not going to. You can't make me. You know, I can't even beg you to pray. All I can do is pray for the Spirit to teach you the importance of prayer. I can't can't do it. Everything I'm saying here this morning, I'm hoping it's getting in. But it's not what I'm saying. It's the Spirit that moves and is going to teach you and going to show you the importance and the need for prayer. And more as the day approaches. The Scripture says that we need to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, stop, you know, don't stop coming to church. But you need to come to church more as the day approaches. The day is approaching and the day is nearly here. And instead of canceling services because nobody's showing up, we should be adding services because there's so many people at these services. The more the closer it gets to Christ's return, the more people should be here. If I'm if I'm making you feel bad, good. See, the Spirit has to teach us the value and necessity of prayer. See, prayer is not a long-winded monologue directed at God. How many of you know that? You don't just kneel down and say, Okay, God, here's my Christmas list. Here's my want list. And then we say, get the end in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God, see ya. That's what we've reduced prayer to is we've reduced it to us telling God what we want Him to do instead of us being open and listening and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you have for me to do? How can I bless your heart, God, by being obedient to you? Not making a list of demands. And then we get all bent out of shape when God doesn't meet those demands in our time. Spending time with Him, listening to His voice. See, John 10, 27 says, My sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them. And they what? They follow me. They follow me. They don't hear and run the other way. They follow after me. We have two ways of pray. You're saying, but pastor, there's all kinds of ways to pray. I'm talking about these two specific ways. One is individual prayer. That's the prayer that you do when you're at home. That's the prayer that you do when you're in your car. That's the prayer that you do when you are wherever you are at and you decide and you purpose in your heart, I'm going to take time, I'm going to pray. Talking with God all day long, but you set aside a specific time where you're going to sit and you're going to be quiet sometimes, you're going to listen for God's voice, you're going to have your word open, and you're going to say, God, speak to me. Individually. Jesus did that. Luke 5.16 But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
If Jesus knew the need for prayer, what makes us think that we can do without it? The Savior of mankind, God's only begotten Son, He needed to pray, and we think that we're better. I don't need to pray. I prayed last month. He's our example. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. We are so round up and caught up, wound up and caught up in our daily routines and everything that we do that we don't want to sit still. And in the society that we're living in today, attention, attention span has gone the way of the dinosaur. Our attention span is about that long. And if God doesn't speak in that short a time, then, well, he must not be going to talk to me today. So we get up and we leave. Hey, I'm right there too. It's not just a unique thing to one or two individuals. It's a universal problem. Jesus did it. We have to do it. The other way we pray is corporately. Corporately. There's the rub. People want to pray by themselves when they pray, but they don't want to get together with other believers and pray. They don't want to get together on Sunday morning early before church and come in and start praying for the service. They don't want to come in early on Sunday night and pray for the service on Sunday night. They don't want to come in on Wednesday night and pray for the services on Wednesday night, but also the service coming up on Sunday. People don't want to do that. They'll do it by themselves, but they don't want to come together as a group, as a whole, and pray for this church. Now, there are some who are here faithfully. You know who you are. Am I stepping on toes this morning? Yes, I am. Am I making some people feel uncomfortable? I hope so. Because it's not about your comfort. It's about urgency and people being saved and God moving in the altars of this church and God healing people and saving people, delivering people from bondage. That's what it's about and that takes prayer. Corporate prayer. In Acts chapter 2, we're all familiar. The upper room, the day of Pentecost, the scripture says that there were 120 people in that room. That's a lot of people in that room. <laughs> huh. If there were 120 people in that upper room, man, they were packed in there like sardines. But it was corporate prayer. Jesus said, go and wait, and while you're waiting, pray, and when you're there, I will send the Holy Spirit. I will send the Comforter. But it took them corporately to pray for that. It didn't just happen. He didn't say, okay, go to your homes, get down on your knees, and I'll pray the same prayer. He didn't say that. He said, get together, all of you, go to one place and pray. what happened when they when they were all in one accord 
and they were all in one place, then the Holy Spirit was poured out. It took corporate prayer. Corporate prayer. If we want to see the Spirit of God poured out in this church in might and in power, we need corporate prayer. starts with praying together in agreement. Agreement. One mind. One accord. Unity and harmony. All praying for the same thing. All of us on the same page. God, pour out your spirit on us. See, because it's prayer that moves the hand of God. have not because you ask not. So if we're not asking, God's not going to move. So what do we want in our church? What do we want in our lives? We want the Spirit to be poured out. We want signs and wonders to follow. We want people saved. We want people healed. We want people delivered. Well, we've got to ask for it. And we've got to ask together. Charles Spurgeon lived from 1834 to 1892, and he's known as the Prince of Preachers. He was a Baptist minister in England who saw enormous blessings from God upon his ministry. It's not an exaggeration to say that thousands came to Christ through his preaching. Thousands. Thousands. And he's up there with Peter. Some of his services drew as many as 10,000 people at a time. But Spurgeon never took credit for the success of his ministry. Instead, he always pointed to the hundreds of people who came before services and prayed for God's blessing. He said any success he had came from God in answer to their prayers. Spurgeon's time stream was the... In Spurgeon's time, steam was the, the power source of the day. Boiler rooms were the powerhouses, the driving forces of everything from vast machines and factories to household heating systems. Boiler rooms, however, were not pleasant places to visit. They were functional, dirty, and hot, often tucked away in the basement. Likewise, Spurgeon saw the prayers of his people as the spiritual power behind his preaching and ministry. This is why he told his fellow pastors, Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. It's a boiler room. Yes, it's unpleasant sometimes. Yeah, it's hot sometimes. Yeah, we don't see a lot of success right away sometimes. But you got to have it. If there's no boiler, there's no living life at 212 degrees. Remember that sermon? This is a hard message this morning, but I don't apologize for it. The necessity of prayer cannot be overstated. Cannot be overstated. It's essential if we're to complete the task that God places before us as a church. 
We must decide in our heart that prayer is a priority, not a luxury, but a necessity. Until we do, we will only see limited, limited success. We'll see some success, but it's going to be limited. If we want to see more success, if we want to see more people, if we want to reach 150 people at minimum this year, if we want to have at least 15 people saved, then it's going to take us getting on our knees and on our face before God praying for those things. Together. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who were called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. To achieve anything, according to this scripture, we must first humble ourselves and pray. 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 I'm uncomfortable too. I am. Because this convicts me of my lack of prayer. I'll be honest, when we first got here three and a half years ago, I prayed a lot more than I pray now. And I'm not sure why. But I know that it has to go back to the way it used to be and it has to go beyond what it used to be to be even more than it used to be because I can't do this by myself I can't get up here and preach every Sunday and then expect you have to go out but we gotta pray about it we gotta pray and seek God's face and say God it's not my will but yours be done 1 John 5, 14 to 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, because we know He does, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked Him for. God hears you, right? You know that if you ask according to His will, that, you'll, that He will hear you. That means that whatever you're asking for according to His will, He's going to answer it. How many of you know what His will is? That's how you know the will. That's how you know the will. And if you're listening to you reading the will of God and you're praying, God, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Here I said, you are earth. Right? God took Adam, made him out of the dust of the earth. Then he took Eve out of his side. In earth, in me. In me. Thy will be done in me as it is in heaven. What's God's will for your life? Psalm chapter 66, verses 18 to 20. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. 
If we regard iniquity in our heart, we, he's saying, that God's not going to hear you. He's not going to act. But when we are iniquity free, God hears and answers. You know what the difference between sin and iniquity is? Sin is something that you do maybe once. Yeah, now in a verb. Something you do once. Iniquity is something that you practice. It's a practice. It's a lifestyle. If we regard lifestyles of ungodliness in our life, God will not hear us. I don't belong to me. I belong to you. God will hear us. God will move on our behalf. And God will bring success. God will bring answers. God will bring multiplication to our church. God will bring acceleration to our church. But it takes prayer. Be people of prayer. Be people of prayer. Be people of prayer. Be people of prayer. You are a house of prayer.